Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, everyone. We are uh, in our penultimate week of uh, Proverbs. Penultimate means? Thank you. See, you guys are learning. You know, it's not just a European phrase. It is a phrase that's in the dictionary. It means second to last. We start our Hebrews series. I'm super excited about that in September where we walk through uh, the book of Hebrews. Um, about a couple months ago, we did a guarded work series. And our guarded work series focused on the idea of what our primary calling is and our secondary calling. It focused on what it means to have your identity wrapped up in the context of your vocation, the, when we value our work too much or we value our work too little. We also spoke about how our work is used by God to shape us and how we can end up pursuing the wind when we um, end up pursuing meaning in the context of our vocation. This week is going to be a little more granular and a little more practical about vocational wisdom out of the book of Proverbs. I read two articles this week, one from CNN Business and the other one from the Wall Street Journal. I read most of it from the Wall Street Journal, but it has a paywall, so I, I read like half of it, you know, I was not going to pay extra for the paywall. Um, but basically, this is what it said, rest in peace, the great resignation. How many of you guys remember the term, the great resignation? Uh, it started during COVID, and there was the time when you could do what you wanted to do, when you wanted to do it, where you wanted to do it. People were changing jobs, they were changing careers, everyone could stay at home, they moved places, they could do all of those kinds of things. And we had uh, companies like Disney and Google and Amazon, and all of them were telling us that the world has changed forever. From now on, people are just going to be working from home. And Disney and Amazon and Google have changed their minds. Uh, return to office mandates from these large companies and the death knell of the great resignation. Listen to the irony of this. This week, Zoom called its workers back to the office. I just want you to, I just want you to think about that for a second. The thing that became ubiquitous with COVID and working from home, this whole idea of this company whose share started at $65 a share went up to round about $600 a share and are now $65 a share. Sorry if you invested in Zoom, bad investment. They also called their workers back. Yeah, not entirely back to a hybrid version, but they've called them back. Most. Most uh, organizations are citing things like creativity, productivity, team building, culture as reasons that they want workers back in the office. Most of us know it's probably an issue of control, and it's probably this idea of people believing that unless people are in the office actively overseen, that they are unproductive and disengaged. Now, where would they get that idea from? Where possibly would they think that someone working from home was um, unproductive or unengaged or maybe being a little bit lazy? Do you guys remember all the hacks that came out to fool your employer that you were actually on the computer working? 
So what happened was employers are saying, okay, if, if we're going to have people work remotely, then we're going to monitor their computers to make sure that they're active. And so there are photos of fans attached to mouses so that the mouse is moving the whole time, so that the software that your boss has employed to see whether you're active in the computer is actually being triggered by that. Let's be honest. We've all gotten a little lazier since COVID in kind of almost every area of our life. And in the last three years, it's become a little acceptable to do those things. But the Bible tells a different story. And the Bible says that in, in order to operate with a sense of vocational wisdom, we need to make sure that we are uprooting laziness. We need to make sure that we are guarding the relationships that God has given us and that we focus on what our overall mission is. So let's look at laziness. Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8. I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. Go to the ant, you lazy person. Observe its ways and grow wise. The ant has no commander, no officer or ruler. And even so, it gets its food in the summer and gathers its provisions at harvest. Remember at the beginning I said... One of the pictures of Proverbs was the idea of Lady Wisdom and Harlot Folly, but also just the general sage that is walking around, this wise man who is observing and he's making recommendations based on what he's observing. And what is he observing? He's observing a number of things about the ant. He's observing the fact that the ant is internally motivated and doesn't need someone looking over their shoulder in order to do what they understand to be both effective and necessary. The other thing that he's observing is that there are certain seasons that the ant recognizes where certain jobs are maybe harder or more difficult. There are certain times in our lives where we're working longer hours. There are certain times in our lives where we're putting in a little bit more effort. There are certain times in our lives where that happens because this is the season for that. It is the season of harvest. But if that is where we live, then that becomes problematic. And we talked about that when we talked about vocation. My wife has um, a, a particular way of pointing her finger at me when I know that I've said something wrong. And it's, it's when I, I say to her, babe, it's just one of those seasons. And she says to me, it's always one of those seasons. <laughs> right? You got that. It's always one of those seasons. And that's one of the things that we need to, to look out for is because it isn't a constant, thank you, it isn't a constant sense of like, just put your head down, just keep going. There have to be times of spring, summer, fall, and winter. And that's what the sage is recognizing here. Some seasons require more, some seasons require less. In Proverbs 24 verse 30, he says this, I happened on the field of a lazy person by the vineyard of someone with no sense. Thorns grew all over it, weeds covered the ground, and the stone wall was falling down. I observed this and took it to heart. I saw it and learned a lesson. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little lying down with folded arms, and poverty will come on you like a prowler or a thief. Deprivation like a man with a shield. Sloth or laziness is also identified by the early church as one of the seven deadly sins. You know, it's put there with... Lust and greed, sloth is one of those deadly sins. One of the things that the sage recognizes 
is that the idea of sliding into slothfulness is progressive. You don't wake up one day as someone that is internally motivated and someone that works and then just decide not to. You kind of slide into it, it's progressive. And part of the thing that makes us a little more slothful is we forget that there are peripheral things in our lives and particularly in our work lives that need to be done that don't necessarily connect with the main thing. So it's interesting because he looks at the vineyard and he doesn't say that the vineyard, that the vines have no grapes on them. He doesn't say that he's not caring for the, for the vines. He says there, there are thorns that are present, the wall is not being paid attention to, and that there are weeds. And sometimes what makes our lives more difficult um, is when we don't recognize how important those peripheral things are to our main task. And so you could say, well, isn't the main task to, to actually produce wine or, you know, grapes? But a lot of us are in more complex seasons of our lives, especially if you have family, especially if you have children, and especially if you're in a complex job where you look at this and you actually say, man, there's a lot of things that I need to give my time and attention to. And they don't seem that important. But if I'm not giving time and attention to the wall, to the thorns and the weeds, then what God has called me to in this area is not going to flourish. Becoming lazy is a process, but the consequences of being lazy are swift and severe. And he says that, that the consequences of becoming a lazy person are actually like a thief, like a man with a shield. It happens quickly. And like I said, even though you don't become lazy immediately, you kind of slide into slothfulness, what happens is many times in someone's life, there is that moment that happens where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm here. I've become a lazy person. And that moment can be losing your job or losing a, a project or losing a client or, or doing one of those things where you realize, wow, I've really let this creep into my life. Now, I wanna say this, setting limits is not laziness. Now, there's a lot of talk about setting limits and boundaries, and, and that's good, but I wanna say this, when something is difficult, time-consuming, or not your favorite, it often becomes a boundary. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? It's like, my boundaries are only things I don't like to do. Uh, but the things that I like to do, those aren't boundaried. And so, one of the things that we've gotta be able to identify is the difference between limits and laziness. Now, I want you to understand this. This scripture is being talked, or the writer of the Proverbs is talking to a group of people that are schooled in Sabbath culture. So this is an entire nation that is very unique from every other nation on the face of this earth up until this time where for a 24-hour period, they are commanded by God to rest from their work. So this is not the idea of all of our lives needs to be focused on the idea of productivity. This is a nation that stood alone, commanded to rest and worship. Now he's saying that what he recognizes is that lying down is not in and of itself sinful. But when lying down becomes our restful state, then that is problematic. Sleep is essential. But when we begin to use sleep as an excuse, then that becomes problematic. So within the Sabbath culture, understand that what he's saying is, is there is a time to rest, there is a time to work. 
also want to point out some physiological realities to the idea of being able to identify whether you are being lazy or whether you're setting limits. And one of those things is you can't, you can't say that a sick person, an injured person, or someone that lacks competency in an area is lazy because they're not doing something. I'm talking about a person that is able to, a person that has the ability to, and has the capacity to do something, but is choosing not to do it. Now, I've got to be careful here because within the context of depression, laziness is part of the fruit of a root of depression. And so that I know for a lot of people that struggle with depression, one of the issues is that they really struggle to do things, to engage with lives, even things that are important to them, even things that bring them joy. But whether it's a root or whether it's a fruit, it is something that we need to pay attention to. We need to be able to understand, am I, am I feeling lazy or am I sliding into laziness because this is, um, this is the, the outcome or the product of something deeper happening within my soul in terms of a sense of depression? Or is, is this just laziness? Now, one of the ways that you can define the difference is when you're generally in a cloud of depression and when you need to start seeking help with issues of depression, it's often when nothing motivates you. When things that used to motivate you could motivate you, when nothing motivates you. So in my life, I said to Karen the other day, I'm a little worried about how excited I am that football is starting. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about that. She says, she said, yeah, there we go. She said, so am I. She says, because we used to just have Sunday, and now we have Thursday, and now we have Monday, and now we have other games. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it amazing? She's like, no, it's not amazing <laughs> at all. I'm getting super excited about fantasy drafts. They're coming up. I'm spending a lot of energy and effort into research. And this is one of the ways that I can tell that I'm lazy. I have the energy to put into something that is meaningless, like fantasy football. If I say, oh, I don't have the energy to put in something, no. That is me needing to go before Jesus, saying, Jesus, help me to uproot laziness. Now, like I said, it is more complex, and if you're struggling with greater things, um, there are lots of people within this community that can help you. I don't want you to feel a sense of shame about being in a place where you just feel like everything is difficult for me to do right now. Those two things are different. Understand? I also don't want you to feel like the only way that you can validate your life is if you're doing something important every single moment. One of my very first jobs, I was working at a place called Project Management Techniques, and I was a junior project manager, and I had a timesheet, which was a new experience for me, um, because we had like six different clients, and at the end of the day, I needed to, you know, to submit my timesheet. And I would say to my boss, like, where do I place the time that I'm using to actually fill out this timesheet? Like, who do I actually place that to? And he's like, well, I don't know. Like, you can evenly divide it amongst your clients. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm technically only doing something that you are forcing me to do, so how do I do that? You see, I, I was really successful in that company. You know, I was like... <laughs> we know that working long hours, constant activity... Um, are not indicators of a better worker. We also know that those things are not indicators of a better person. 
And so that's not what I'm saying. But what are the marks of laziness? One of the things that I noticed is I love following all these like home hacks. You know, instead of doing this, do that, or, or use this. And it always says lazy ways to do things. And I'm like, that's not lazy. That's brilliant. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you've just cut down an hour of work. You know, I mean, if you want to call yourself lazy, that's fine. Bill Gates is quoted as saying, if you get a lazy person to do a job, they will do it in half the amount of time. And so when you find shortcuts or you find a better way of doing something, that's not being lazy. That's just being real clever. So anyone have any ideas, you can come and tell me. But marks of laziness, there's three that are, four of them that I want to talk about. The first is that you make excuses. Proverbs 26 verse 13 says this, the lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. You know the sarcasm? There's a bit of sarcasm there. Yes, I know there's a lion out there. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. Now, it's hard to find a job. This economy is difficult. Uh, it's a different season. I study for something, and, and, and things are changing. Those are not excuses, there's a lion in the street. A lion in the street is an unreasonable excuse. And a lion in the street is, is making up reasons in order to deal with the fact that you don't want to work hard. There are legitimate reasons why things are more difficult. But when you can't recognize when God has put something in your hand and you don't want to even lift it up to your mouth, then what God is saying is, be careful that you don't slide into slothfulness. When you begin making excuses, rather than looking at what God has given you, it's perhaps an indicator that you're operating in laziness. The second mark of laziness is that your unsatisfied desires make you a meddler. Your unsatisfied desires make you a meddler. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, The, the lazy have strong desires but receive nothing. The appetite of the diligent is satisfied. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, it says, even when we were with you, we were giving you this command. This is in the New Testament. Paul is talking to the Thessalonican church. If anyone does not want to work, they should not eat. We hear that there are some living an undisciplined life. They aren't working, but they are meddling in other people's business. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and encourage some people to work quietly and put food on the table. Your laziness impacts other people more than you know, because your laziness makes other people work harder. This can be at home, this can be at the office, this can be in the context of your family. It impacts other people because they have to cover for you. Now, all of us have been in work situations where we had to cover for someone. Some of us are much more gracious than others. My wife, let me tell you, if you want someone to cover for you without anyone knowing that you were covered, you go talk to my wife. If I cover for you, this is, this is a long time ago when I was not so spiritually well formed, you know. <laughs> Man, I'm going to let everybody know that I covered for you, that actually this is not something that I did out of the goodness of my heart, but something you forced me to do because you didn't do your job properly. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying we've all been in those kinds of circumstances. The challenge, though, 
is that when you're lazy, you get bored. When you get bored, you start to meddle in other people's business. Now, how do we meddle these days? Facebook and Instagram. We don't really need to cause an office issue, but we can cause a lot of problems when we're lazy and bored on Facebook and Instagram and we begin to meddle in people's lives. Thirdly, you chase fantasies. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have plenty to eat, but those who engage in empty pursuits or fantasies have no sense. There is a difference between a goal, a dream, and a fantasy. Fantasies are usually those things that are not connected to hard work. Those are the get rich quick, the dreams that you see um, that you would love to participate in. Fantasies are things where there are great rewards for very little effort. And when you're lazy, those are the things that you chase. T.E. Lawrence says, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind wake up in the day to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Now I want to say dream, absolutely. Think about what could be possible, but don't be under the illusion that this is going to happen as easily as you could dream it happening. When you begin to chase fantasies, and you begin to think things will be easy, that's when laziness begins to take hold. That's when you begin to slide into sloth. Fourthly, you are wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 26, verse 16. Lazy people think that they are wiser than seven people who answer sensibly. It was a young man. He was young back then. He's not young anymore, but he had this dream in, in this community. And um, he was going to open an escape room. And um, it really matched his personality. It matched his skills. Um, it wasn't just a fantasy. He had a plan and he had a dream. And so he sat down with an older man, a businessman, who had built a business out of nothing, a construction business, but he'd built his business out of nothing. And he sat down with him and he, and he put his plans out. And... Uh, and this man became known as the dream killer. <laughs> so what happened is this young man never started his escape room. Um, and it wasn't that it wasn't matched his personality, it wasn't that it wasn't a good idea. Basically, what the man said to him is, number one, this is a fad. Number two, even if it wasn't a fad, you don't have the money to actually start this right now. He gave him a number of good reasons why this was a bad idea. This young man was not lazy. This young man recognized, actually, there are people around me that even if I have this dream and I submit it to people within the context of this community that know me and love me and want me to succeed, they're going to say some hard things to me and maybe I need to pay some attention. No one understands me. No one understands my dream. No one can see my potential. Those are not good postures to have if you have a dream. Yes, I know, AI is gonna change everything. COVID changed a bunch of things, but I can tell you one thing. Within the whole AI kind of um, 
angst that we're experiencing, I can tell you one thing. The people that are best suited to deal with artificial intelligence are not the lazy, but the diligent. And so whatever context you're in, whether you had a skill that is now obsolete, whether you're looking at your future or looking at a position within your company and thinking, how is this going to happen? You have a much better opportunity if you push into diligence and avoid laziness. The second thing that Scripture tells us in Proverbs about applying vocational wisdom is the way in which we deal with relationships. And firstly, we're going to look at our relationships with our co-workers and subordinates. And we look at this by the way in which we handle our tongue and the way in which we lead by example. You lead with your tongue in terms of what you say and what you don't say. I'm not very good at that, at not saying. Proverbs 15, verse 1 and 2 says, A sensitive answer turns back wrath, but an offensive word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise enhances knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes with stupidity. I wonder what he's trying to say there. It's not very clear, right? Sarcasm. Gossip is a killer. Gossip kills families, it kills churches, it kills workplaces. This is the problem. Once gossip takes root, it is very, very difficult to uproot. And one of the challenges within our workplace in terms of how we are able to step into vocational wisdom is to make sure that we are not being used by the spirit that is present in that company to make that company worse, to make our family worse, to make our community worse. How we deal with being let down and how we take responsibility for letting others people, other people down. The same company that I worked at called Project Management Techniques, there were two pool secretaries. Um, and pool secretaries, for those of you that don't know, it's like they didn't necessarily have a specific boss. Whichever one wasn't busy, you could, use, you could use both of them to get your work done. How many of you are old enough to remember the macro viruses that started? No, okay. So what happened was, what we would do is we would create a document and you would, you would create a macro and then basically you would just come in and fill all the details of the, do of the document in. And, and the, one of the very first viruses that happened was the macro virus, which on the screen looked perfect. When you printed it out, everything was jacked up. And so we had proposals to get in that we had to drive to the government. They needed to be in the slot at 5 p.m. And this, this older... Um, man called Sid Buckus, and he was so frustrated that he, he gave his proposal to, um, to Alta. Let me tell you, Alta was always busier than Rose, because Rose didn't know what she was doing, and so no one used Rose, and everyone used Alta, okay? And everyone knew that, and, but that's how it happened. Now, Rose was, a, was a, a small, petite little woman, and Alta grew up on a farm. She was from Germany. She was taller than me, larger than me, and she was a, a tough woman. Sid was about so high, little skinny guy. And he gets the report one day, and, and he, he says, and again, it's printed wrong. And he says to her, he says to her, what is this? How many times? Are you stupid or something? And everyone turns around to see what's going to happen. And Alta is sitting at her desk. She gets up, okay? Now Sid is here. 
she leans forward on her desk and she said, what did you say? He said nothing. And he took, he took his report and he gave it to Rose, who totally messed it up anyway. How we use our tongues when we are let down at work. Let me say this. Alton never did another thing for Sid, ever. Ever, at that whole time. Never did another thing. Ruined a relationship, but also ruined a working relationship. And so how we use our tongues are, is, is critical. How we lead by example, because the lazy and entitled spirit of the workplace has now become dominant. And this idea that I'm not going to do that because it's beneath me, my identity is so connected to my, um, to my title that I'm not going to lower myself and do something. The bar is so low, church, that even if we just raise it a little, the way in which we kind of display the kingdom of God is going to be massive. There will be times where we need to lead. There will be times where we need to challenge. There will be times where we need to lead in a humble and courageous way. But how we do that with our tongues is essential in being able to display the kingdom of God. How we work with our employees. Proverbs 22 verse 16 says, oppressing the poor to get rich and giving it to the wealthy leads only to poverty. Now, the interesting thing about this is he's not making a value statement here. He's not saying oppressing the poor is wrong. He's actually, I want you to see this. He's actually saying it's bad business to oppress the poor. This is key, not because this is what our motive should be, but because he's understanding something that the rest of the world is beginning to understand. It is bad business. How many businesses now are framing the core of their mission around the fact that we are doing good things, right? Buy a pair of glasses, someone else gets a pair of glasses. Buy a pair of shoes, someone else gets a pair of shoes. By the way, I'm from Africa. No one is wearing Toms and no one is wearing Warby Parker, just so you know, okay? <laughs> but when we oppress the poor, what we're doing is we're acting in direct contradiction of what the Word of God tells us. And therefore, we're acting in opposition of the grain of the, of the universe. So whether someone knows God or doesn't, the oppressing of the poor is something that is going to be bad for business ultimately in the long term. We need to offer a fair wage for a fair day's work. If we're business owners, people, planet, profits, right? In that order. As bosses and believers, we also need to be careful and ask the Spirit of God to help us in our observation. Because just like we are called to observe what is happening in the lives of our employees and take action, God is giving us His Spirit to be able to identify whether that's true or not. One of the first challenges that I had was I had to, um, there were a number of people that were tardy that were consistently late. And they were mainly from one population group. And so the, the ideal is this, tardy once, tardy twice, three times disciplined, four times suspended, fifth time you're out. And one of the things that I didn't realize, and only realized because I'd recently become saved, coming to a church where um, the idea of, of justice for people that didn't look like me was something that was being grown in there, I, I was asking the question, why are you consistently late? Like, you are consistently late, why are you consistently late? 
She says, I have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I've got to walk 45 minutes to the taxi rank. I have no control over which taxi I get into because the marshals define which taxi I get into. I can't leave if I'm there on time. I can only leave when that taxi is full. I have no control over when that, that's 5.45, I arrive at the taxi stand, I'm supposed to be at work at eight. I'm only an hour away. Okay, wow. That's important information. Important information. My uncle died, yeah, well, that's your uncle. I mean, it's, you have to travel all the way to Natal, but I will be ostracized if I don't go to his funeral. He's my dad's brother. So those are the kinds of things that as bosses, the observation of what you see may be very, very different from what is actually happening. And this is where we have to lean into the Spirit of God for discernment and wisdom. Why? Because people will take advantage of you. Not everyone is going to be like this woman who has a legitimate reason for being late. And so you need the wisdom of God to be able to say, God, help me in this process. As I ask these questions, what is, what is happening? Literally, what is going on so that I can deal with this with kindness and compassion, so that I can be humbly bold and courageous? Lastly, with our bosses, don't self-promote. Proverbs tells us, don't exalt yourself in the presence of the king or stand in the place of important people because it'll, better, it'll be better that he says to you, come up here, than to be demoted before a ruler. This sounds familiar, right? We've heard someone else say this. This is literally what Jesus is quoting, this proverb, when he tells his disciples not to take the best seat. This is the proverb that he's quoting. Don't exalt yourself. See a man skillful in his work, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. Skilled here is not about whether this is white collar or blue collar. If you're excellent at what you do, the same thing happens. We know the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. And he asked the king for a number of things. He had prayed and he came and he asked the king. He was not timid, he was not apologetic, he was respectful. His king did not share his love for God, but Nehemiah knew that God had placed him there for a reason. And when you ask things of your boss, being good at your job really helps. If you're saying, hey, I need this, I want to do this, I need to take some time off to go and do this mission trip, I need this, when you're good at your job, it really helps your boss saying, sure, go ahead and do that. Workmanship, Pride in our work is the more critical issue than whether we are successful because God has called us to faithfulness, not necessarily results. Results will take care of themselves. And as we've said before in Proverbs, Proverbs is the generalization of how things work better. They don't always work necessarily in this way. I know that there are people in this room that have seen people that are less qualified promoted over them. People that are less godly promoted over them. I was driving in a car, I was working for Adcock Ingram with the head of training. And she was nervous and she was telling me why this was important. She was meeting with the board and they were going to either um, like farm out training as a department as a whole, 
Um, and one of the key problems was that if we are just getting people in to run these training courses, why do we need someone to manage that? Why do we need to pay this big salary if all we're doing is subcontracting these training skills? And part of the reason was that Adcock England was just doing like what they called calendar-based training. So I was sitting in the car and I thought, you know what might be a good idea? Is if we switch from calendar-based training to competency-based training. And we divide competencies into core competencies and secondary competencies. Then you need to focus on developing what those competencies are and developing training courses for them. I thought it was a great idea. So did she. Because she went to the meeting and she gave that idea as her idea. I was, the, uh, I was a paid intern, but I didn't even have a seat at the board table. You, you know what interns, if you're there, right? You're in the meeting, but not in the meeting. You're sitting there. I didn't know what to do in that moment. So she got in the car afterwards, and she said, so um, are you okay? And I said, I'm okay. She said, good. That was it. We never spoke about it again. Now, let me say this. I did end up getting a permanent position. I did end up getting a promotion. What I didn't end up was getting credit for that idea. But this I know is that she is not my boss. God is my boss. And when things like that happen, that's the posture that you need to sit back into and say, wow, this is not good. This is not godly. This is hurts. But I'm going to lean into the fact that God is my boss. About a month ago, a um, man from this church called me and he said, you, you won't believe what, what happened, but I was, I was literally publicly scolded on Zoom by, a lot of, by my client with a lot of my superiors watching me. This was the first time that this had happened. I, I don't know what's going on. You know what impressed me about this person? is that the question that he was asking was not, how do I make this better at work? That was obviously one of the questions. The question is, I wonder what God is doing. I wonder what God is trying to get my attention in. I wonder what he's trying to shape in me. That was impressive. In the midst of his pain, in the, in the midst of, of the confusion of what to do in terms of the actual work situation, the bigger question that was being asked was, God, what are you doing? Because ultimately, I don't stand and fall before these men. I stand and fall before you. Colossians says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Slaves, bondservants, workers. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves, bondservants, workers. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. What is this telling us? We have a different motive we have different relationships. We have a different boss. That is what we've got to understand. Benji, you can come up here. Finally, the way in which we engage in vocational wisdom is to understand that we have a different mission. How many of you have seen the new Mission Impossible, right? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? I want to say, way better than Barbie, okay? 
<laughs> it's like people are going to throw, yeah, I know. I get a big L sign from the back, right? This is the amazing thing. We have been given a mission. We are undercover agents. Whether you're a house painter, whether you own a company, whether you're a music producer, a dancer, a roofing contractor, a teacher, you actually have an undercover mission. And your undercover mission is to display and proclaim the mercies of God. That's your undercover mission. Not only does our work shape us, but we have the opportunity to model the grace of God in those contexts. We have the opportunity to mod model what joyful diligence looks like. We have the, the, the privilege to interact with image bearers of God, whether they know Him or not. We have the ability to apply biblical wisdom and to ask God for gifts of the Spirit where we can engage and actually say, God, I need a word of wisdom. I need a word of knowledge right now. I need to know what's going on in this situation because our work can become the platform from which we can proclaim the gospel because our ability to exercise godly wisdom at work will either amplify our message or it will obscure it. But Nick, this sounds like a lot of work. This, am I doing this to gain God's favor? Am I doing this to get noticed by God the big boss? Am I doing this because God has his performance appraisal ready and he's ready to check out everything that I'm doing right or wrong? This sounds opposed to the gospel that is all about grace and faith alone. That if you're a Christ follower, yes, you are known, you are accepted, you are loved, you are forgiven, and that our value is not based on our output, but on the completed work of Jesus Christ at the, at the, uh, on the cross. All of that is 100% true but it's for that reason. And the writers of the New Testament tell us consistently, in light of this, because of this, walk worthy of the Lord. Why would we wanna do that? Because we wanna reflect a kingdom where diligence is pursued regardless of whether it's rewarded. We wanna reflect a kingdom where relationships are valued regardless of whether that person can do something for me in the context of work, because relationships are important, because they have to do with the God image in every single person that we interact with. We do this because this is a place where we can flourish, knowing that our jobs are one way in which we can preach, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that we come to you, even as we started this morning, not as an idea, an ideology, but someone that walks with us through the Spirit. We come to you as the one that rescued us out of a life of meaningless self-pursuit. You chose us cleansed us and you put us in all these variety of places so that we could be lights in a dark world. Father, I want to pray that you would come and that you would remind us of the privilege of what you've called us to. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of the purpose and ultimately remind us of the prize that we will see you face to face one day. 
and that what this world has to offer, the praise and rewards that are received here will pale in comparison to that day. But I also pray that you would empower us knowing that until that day, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because you have equipped us to preach good news to the poor. You have equipped us to release the the bound, to speak freedom to the oppressed. And we get to do that every day by the way in which we work and the way in which we model our Savior. God, teach us, be with us, lead us, I pray. Thanks, Nick, um, for for the word. Um, as, uh, as, as he was preaching and, and talking, I was, uh, couldn't help but think about our pre-gathering prayer where, uh, where Nick shared the passage from uh, John chapter 21 um, when the disciples, after the, uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they, um, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. <laughs> He's like, returns to kind of what he knows. Um, they go out and they fish all night, and they catch absolutely nothing. They worked all night doing what most of them knew what to do, and they caught nothing. And then a guy shows up on the beach and says, hey, you guys catch any fish? And they have to say, no, we didn't, we didn't catch anything. And then he says, well, try on the other side. And they throw their nets down, and, and you're just pulling so many fish. And they realize, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. And um, we can approach our work in our own effort, in our own toil, in our own intelligence, in our own strategy, in our own everything in ourselves. But it, anything in life, it is at his word that we are fruitful. It is at his word that we pull in fish. It's at his word when you're working on something at work. It's at his word he can help you. Uh, he is the smartest man to ever live. He is the wisest man to ever live, and he is with you. And this is a meal where we recognize that he is with us. And he himself said, why don't you guys stand with me? Jesus himself said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he It is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our work starts here and moves out in response. This bread that we hold is Christ's body. It's a symbol of Christ's body that was broken for us and given for us. Take and eat. This cup, this cup is the new covenant. For the forgiveness of your sin, this blood was shed for you and for me that we might be able to come to the Father, able to be in Christ, able to do all of these things, able to enter the work that God has for each and every one of us. Take and drink. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are always at work 
We thank you that you invite us into your work. We thank you, Lord, for the reality that though we have good days and bad days, though we face trouble in this life, that we can be of good cheer because you've overcome the world and we get to be in you and join you and you're still the savior who stands on a beach when we're toiled all night in our own stress and our own angst and our own frustration and you tell us what to do. If we'll listen to you, we experience the joy of the kingdom of God, the, the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. Lord, help us even this week as we enter into these spaces, our work, our family, challenges, to listen for your word to us, that we would enter your work. We love you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, there's going to be people to my left, to your right, that are available to pray for you. The band is just going to continue to play a little bit, but the rest of us, we're dismissed. We're going to go hang out in the back. We'd love to say hello to you. We love you. Go be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.